You are listening to the Wesley Seminary Podcast out of Wesley Seminary in Iowa. Your host today is Dr. Aaron Perry, Assistant Professor of Pastoral Care. Far too often, the church regards single Christians as people who need to be fixed or fixed up. Sam Alberry provides a pastoral guide to correct this and help the church live like the family of God. Those are the words of Rosaria Butterfield as she endorses today's guest's book. The book is Seven Myths About Singleness. The guest is Sam Alberry. Sam is a pastor, speaker, and writer with Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. He's the editor, uh, one of the editors for the Gospel Coalition website. He's the author of a number of books, including Is God Anti-Gay? James For You? And Why Bother With the Church? And, of course, today's book, Seven Myths About Singleness, published by Crossway Publishers. If you are single, if you have people in your church or small group or friendship circle who are single, this is a good episode for you. One of the things that Sam reminds us of is that most people will be single, if not uh, at some point in their life. Even if they are married now, the chances of them being single again later in life is very high. I remember one lady who talked to me about the joy she experienced from the church coming around her after her longtime husband had passed away and the importance that she had simply of being at lunch after church on Sunday with other people. They were married people there, there were single people there, and she was included and had a friendship circle to be part of. And I thought, boy, this is a topic that we need to talk about. So uh, Sam has joined us today. I think you're going to enjoy this episode. It has a lot of different insights from a lot of different perspectives. Tune in, take a listen, and of course, let us know what you think and how we at the Wesley Seminary Podcast can be keep on producing these resources for you. Thanks so much for tuning in. Enjoy the episode. Seven Myths About Singleness. It's published by Crossway Publishers. Its author is with us today. Sam Alberry is with us. Sam, let me just start by asking you this. Which is the most important myth about singleness that needs to be addressed in contemporary Western culture? Um, That's like asking who your favorite child is. Um, I I think they're all urgent. I think probably the first one is the, is the gatekeeper to all the other ones, which is that singleness is is just bad. Um, I think that because we believe that myth, we believe all the other, subsequent ones that I addressed, but I think we've got a very deep-seated, deep-down level belief that, that singleness just is not, not a good thing, and therefore we need to, to avoid it at all costs. We need to, um, yeah, it, it, I think that that's probably the, the key thing. So let's take a step back. Help us get oriented to, or our listeners oriented to the book and, and why you wrote it. Maybe tell a little bit about uh, your own story, your own ministry, and what made you write the book? Well, I've, for the last few years, I've, I've been doing a lot of speaking and writing on issues of human sexuality, um, partly because of my own experience um, wrestling with same-sex attraction, uh, the need for for that issue to be addressed in the church today, trying to help churches think that through with, with both grace and truth. And as I've been doing ministry around that particular issue, one of the consistent pieces of feedback I kept hearing was different Christians saying, I don't wrestle with same-sex attraction, but your talk really helped me to think through singleness in a fresh way. And I started hearing that a sufficient number of times to, to then start thinking, 
I wonder if I need to, to do some more work just on that part of this. Um, whether there's a, you know, whether it, it appeared that my approach to singleness was something that people found to be helpful and refreshing. So I started to do more teaching and thinking just about singleness. Um, and the book grew out of that. Um, and I, I based the teaching around some of the common misconceptions there are concerning singleness. The Lord seemed to be using that. So I thought I'd uh, do the extra work of, of trying to put it into a book. One of the myths that you have is that singleness requires a special calling, as though uh, certainly Paul talks about gift, that, um, the gift, marriage is a gift, singleness is a gift. He uses that language of it, but you've combated and come against the idea that a person has um, whatever is needed to have a single life. And rather, you said the gift of singleness is meant to be something that's given back to the community. Uh, so you're right, gifts are about building up the church rather than feeling a sense of individual and personal fulfillment. And I thought that was such a neat reorientation of gifts that, that I have received or gifts that are in my life. It's not about me, it's about how can they then be turned back and used for the benefit of, of others. Um, how do you see singleness being used in that way as, a, as something that can be received in order to be given uh, for the benefit of others. Thank you. I, well, I think, and as I say there, the, the wider framework for gifts in Paul's writing, particularly in First Corinthians, is that they are, whatever the gift is, it's for the sake of other people. Um, and that seems to be what Paul is doing with his teaching on singleness in First Corinthians chapter 7. He talks about singleness and marriage both being gifts in verse 7, then later on in the chapter, He's talking about some of the particular kingdom advantages that come with being single. And he stresses that this is a, an, an area for Christian freedom. That he's not saying everyone ought to be single or that singleness is always better than marriage or anything like that. But nevertheless, he does point out the fact that if you are single, you have opportunities for serving Christ, serving other people that you might not have if you were married. Um, Paul says that you can give undivided devotion to Christ. Uh, so there's a sense in which the very fact of being single often means we have a flexibility, we have a freedom just in the way our life works to be able to serve the purposes of, of Christ in a way we couldn't do um, if we were married. So in that sense, singleness is not about whether singleness or marriage is, is most going to leave me feeling fulfilled. Both are great things, both are also challenging things. But in both cases, the focus should be, how can I use this state? How can I max it for the benefit of others? So it's true for those who are married, they should be thinking, not is this marriage fulfilling me, but are we using this marriage in service of Christ? And similarly for us singles, it isn't, am I using the freedoms and opportunities of singleness just to make myself happy, but am I using those freedoms and opportunities to be a blessing to other people? One of the things that you address um, in the book is just the, the challenge of uh, living in close proximity to another. So you talk about, you know, that, that just is the case with married couples, uh, but you talk about when some of the times that you're traveling, rather than staying at a hotel, you work to stay in somebody else's home. So that there's a sense of, 
adjusting at least a little bit of your of your life to their schedule for meals or for appropriate bedtimes or for whatever else you know the rhythm of their of their life and and you also um, can't as easily just escape into a hotel room but there's common space that you're expected to be in and participate in um, as a as a single person how have you been able or how have you worked at living out that opportunity to be in closer proximity with other people outside the marriage context well i think the key thing is is i mean that happens both locally and in local church life it happens i travel a lot it happens as you've mentioned with with travel as well um it's simply trying to find opportunities to do life with other people it's what we're all designed for so even if i'm say living on my own i want my home to be a place where Others are, are very welcome to come in. Um, I want my home to feel like a haven for other people. Um, that's not always convenient to me, but it's, it strikes me as a, a kind of a biblical concern and priority to have. Um, so I think, you know, in, in biblical terms, we, we think in our culture that, that intimacy is what you have in marriage and not being married means you have no intimacy mm. i'm trying to say there are actually godly forms of intimacy of relational closeness that come through friendship that come through the church family that don't require you to be married um so the real issue is am i opening my life up to other people am i stepping into other people's lives that they have opened up for me um, whether that's with particular friendships particular families um, and and so on but it, it's it's having that that posture of, of seeking to really open up life and do it well with other people that, that really is one of the spots where rubber starts to meet the road right it is living life with other people is something that takes uh, a measure of physical proximity right I, I mean we you and i are having this conversation uh, online and so there's a there's a, a connection that's able to happen in this way but the the full orbness of that takes being around other people and and um, learning some of their idiosyncrasies and learning some of their desires and their fears you have a great chapter uh, the myth that you addressed in it is singleness means no intimacy and what you've done is taken intimacy out of the realm of sexuality only and put it into the category of friendship and this involves knowing somebody in deep ways right knowing their hopes knowing their fears knowing just maybe maybe intuitively and then maybe if it, upon some reflection some of the rhythms of their life and that takes being around somebody else so I, I was thinking about uh, this that um, in, an, in an increasingly digital world and a town I just uh, just moved from they're talking about how do they facilitate uh, workers who are who can work remotely so they live in a city they work in another one and they may never you know step foot in the other city like there's so many ways for us not to have physical proximity to other people but you're saying if, if you want real relationship and intimacy in this friendship kind of contest context it does take some physical proximity and i thought what a, what an opportunity for the church to be that atmosphere where that can happen right sunday morning of course or whenever they're corporate gathering is happening, but also then how are they structuring and facilitating people getting around other people on a consistent basis and being in one another's homes and fellowshipping, being with one another? That's exactly right. Um, there, there's a certain amount of relational stuff that can happen via 
you know, online connections and Skype and social media and all those sorts of things. But that, that is never a substitute for physical presence, um, the, the local kind of friendships you've just been describing. So I think you're right that the church has a unique opportunity here to be a, to be a great facilitator, um, encouraging and providing ways for, for people to form friendships um, with one another, for, for those friendships to exist across a range of ages and backgrounds, across different life stages and marital status and all that kind of thing. So it, I hope it would be on the church's radar. I think it certainly should be is how can we provide opportunities for people to, to grow in their, in their relationships with one another, whether that's through church social events, whether it's through the structure of small groups. Um, a couple of churches I've been involved with, we've, we've organized what we've called Hospitality Sunday, um, where we'll, we'll get one group of people to sign up to open up their homes, another group of people to sign up to, to go around for a meal and, and just you get different combinations of people spending time together over a Sunday lunchtime and afternoon, um, which again can just, not everyone is going to become everyone else's closest friend, but it just again helps that sense of feeling like I know these people and these people know me. And if it feels as though the only people who really know me are online and the people I go to church with are just other faces, We've got that really around the wrong way. Hmm. You've done, uh, I want to keep delving into this, this topic of friendship because one, I think it's actually one of the key chapters of the book because it is um, really reorienting our sense of it. So you do a, a nice job of pointing out friend has moved from being a noun to being a verb, right? We, we friend somebody and that means to, to bring them into our online social network, right? And you can have you know, people have got several thousand Facebook friends, for example. So you, you friend, you know, friended this many people, but the, the depth of that is not really communicated, right? There's some things that we can know about them, but there's a, there's a certain depth that's, that's missing. One of the things that you say about friendship is that it's not a jealous kind of relationship. So a distinction between the marriage relationship and the friendship relationship, marriage relationship is one that has to, by nature, be exclusive, right? You can't have more than one marital partner or the marriage relationship itself is breaking down. But a person can have more than one friend and in fact, more than one very good friend. And then you briefly tell the story of a, a trip you had planned to go on with a, a friend of yours and, and he asked if another friend could join you. And you said that, well, at first there was some disappointment. It actually came to, you actually came to see how it really enriched the trip that you got to see another side of your friend that you otherwise would not have seen if it had just been the two of you. I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more to us about what potential do you see um, friendship having for the single person's life that would give them um, just the, like, the, like you're describing this, this experience of intimacy. What else about friendship makes intimacy possible? Well, friendship in, in biblical categories is a way of being deeply known uh, and deeply loved. That's what we're designed for. That is what I, I think intimacy really is. Um, and again, as you, as you said, we've got a fairly superficial view of friendship in our culture today because it's been influenced by social media. Friendship is little more than having access to someone else's homepage. Um, Jesus virtually defines friendship for us in John 15. He says to his disciples, um, 
No longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends because, and whatever Jesus says next shows us what Jesus thinks is, is fundamental to friendship. He says, I've called you friends because all that the Father has made known to me, I've revealed to you. In other words, Jesus is defining friendship by the people you let in on what is really going on. That is friendship. Uh, you see a similar dynamic in the book of Proverbs where a friend is someone not just who, who shares a, an interest or a hobby with you, but a friend is someone who knows your soul, someone who knows your interiority. Mm. Um, that is actually, that is profound. That is deep. Into, that's relational thickness. That I think is intimacy. And it's, it's increasingly rare today. People who might even have sexual partners who don't really know them. So that, that I think is what we need to recover. Previous generations have been far better at this than we have. We're the, un, we're the odd ones out in the, in the kind of Western world today. But it just means that actually the more those kinds of friendships are present with, within the life of the church, within the life of the community, the less you feel it matters whether you're someone who ever gets to feel sexually fulfilled or not it means that if you're living a life of of singleness then actually you're not thinking oh well i'm just all on my own and isolated and cut off from everybody else you're, you're able to think actually i'm i'm deeply known um i do have intimacy i do have the depth of community um because i have friends so and by the way, married people need this as well. So um, yeah, yeah. Mar marriages aren't meant to be completely self-contained and self-sufficient. So this is, this is a win for all of us. Um, but it's an aspect of, of our humanity. I think we've neglected because uh, on this point, we've been much more shaped by our culture than we realize. And so we need to recover the, that kind of biblical sense of what real friendship actually consists of kind of this hyper emphasized view of sexuality and you, and you know the phrase that sex is used to sell anything from cars to toothpaste right it's just it's yeah. embedded everywhere that that you're that you're looking and and in many ways we're sorting out uh what some of the social rules around sexuality right and and this is coming about in different different hashtags and different ways that people are finding to share their experience, the sensitivities that we have as a culture that, that you, you, it's like you can't get away from it. On the other side of it, what that does is it kind of collapses our imagination to say that, that uh, everything is sexual and that sexuality is, is in everything. And that has really hindered this category of friendship. It, it can make it difficult uh, both for men and women to be friends because if there's this kind of underlying sexuality that just has to be dealt with if, if the culture is right that, that sexuality is everything and everything is sexual and it can also lead to miscommunication or, or misunderstanding of, of uh, same-sex friendship as well uh, you you talk about some of the letters that were written between soldiers and this presumption that that a, a modern person reading them has toward them being uh, having homosexual relationship um, because of the depth of connection. You're saying, no, that's not it at all. It's just the level of friendship is different. And like our imaginations have, have been shriveled up to fully appreciate the power of this kind of relationship. That's exactly it. And we've, we've so shrunk our view of, of human intimacy and, and relating 
that we just don't we no longer have the categories we once had and it's 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 spoiling everything it means as you say it's harder to have genuine friendships without people kind of mistaking that for something else um it it locks people into a very superficial and mm. narrow view of of how real life works which yeah. means that actually it's cutting us off from each other um that's the sadness of it we're not getting it's not doing us any good well i'm thinking about it even in terms of my marriage and and uh i'm happily married been married for 11 years have three children so obviously sexuality has been a component of our marriage you can see that just by looking at the makeup of our marriage but to have this sense that like sexuality is underlying every component of my married life is is mistaken right there's there's so much of life of a, of a even a married life that's not marked by sex or sexuality it's just it's marked by um uh, companionship i mean even even companionship and which is different you talk about that company is different from from friendship right and company is a good thing you know it's 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 uh, i really appreciated how kind of putting these things and having as full and orbed appreciation for these different kinds of relationship you talk about kin and company and friendship. It really enriches all of them. That's exactly right. And, and we're, we're designed for that variety. Um, it's, it's good to have people that you go and watch a, a sporting match with. And that may be as far as the, the friendship goes. That's fine. That's good. But we, we also need those deeper, thicker friendships where we can let people in on what's, what's actually going on in life. Um, so we need we need the spectrum of of relationships that God has designed us for, and again, which we see reflected throughout the scriptures. One of the other myths that you address in the book is that singleness wastes your spiritual your sexuality. Singleness wastes your sexuality, and you say that that's a myth. Talk to us a little bit more about that. Why is it a myth to say that singleness wastes your sexuality? Well, this, this came out of a conversation uh, with, a, with a friend of mine who would take a more uh, progressive view of Christian sexuality and that kind of thing. And he was saying to me, listen, if, if someone is same-sex attracted and they remain single because of kind of historic Christian beliefs, isn't that a waste of their sexuality? And I thought, good question. <laughs> Am I wasting my sexuality by not being married? And it, I'm grateful for that question because it, it opened me up to a whole seam of teaching in the Bible I'd not really fully appreciated before, which is that our sexuality in the Bible is meant to point beyond itself to the intimacy we have with Christ by being part of his, his people, part of his bride. And therefore, there are two ways to fulfill your sexuality. You can, you can fulfill your sexuality by marrying in a way that points to that relationship and which in which that relationship is is putting your marriage in a healthy uh, perspective and proportion in, in this life but similarly you can remain single in a way that also points to that relationship with jesus so i, I talk about how if if marriage shows us the shape of the gospel singleness shows us its sufficiency and so the very fact that I, I will have times of feeling, uh, you know, sexual frustration uh, or sexual longing, actually the, the, the best thing to do with those feelings is to let them speak to me of the deeper longing 
um, that lies underneath them for, for life with Christ. Um, those, those sexual feelings are meant to point beyond themselves to that deeper longing, that greater consummation that we will all have with Jesus. And therefore, if, if my sexuality is orienting me towards my relationship with Christ, I can be fulfilling its purpose, even if I'm not satisfying those sexual feelings themselves, if that makes sense. Well, I think so. It, it ends up putting this into a, a theological worldview, right? That, that yeah. sexuality is a gift to be received from God. And as a result, there are proper ways to use it. At the same time, there are things in which it is, which it is intended to do and which it is uh, intended to achieve in us. And I hear you say, uh, in, on one side, the covenant of marriage reflects to us the faithfulness of God and our sexuality that helps bind together the, the married couple um, and make them one for each other uh, reflects to us the covenant faithfulness of God. And on the other side, that one who is, um, who is not married, who is single and lives a sexually chaste life as a result, not only reflects the, the faithfulness of God, but also reflects that God is enough. And not only that, but points to the future satisfaction that God has for all the desires that we have, that all these desires, sexual and, and non-sexual, are ultimately met in the greatness and grandeur of God. That's exactly it. So you, you put it better than I did in the book. <laughs> no, um, I don't think so. I, I tried to use your language, actually. It's pretty, pretty close. You write this. You say, sexual unfulfillment itself becomes a means of deepening our sense of the fuller, deeper satisfaction we await in Jesus. And I thought, you know, that's, that's in part how singles are really are a gift to the church to show us that, you know what, there are going to be longings that just simply are not met in this life because we're meant and made for more than what our current capacities uh, are able to handle. Well, that's the thing. And it, it also applies to, you know, to people who are widowed. Yes. Who become single again, um, that there is still a, you know, that they're not now, again that that's not a wasted experience for them that there's that the very temporality of their of their earthly marriage and the grief at, at it having you know ended is is a is a picture of the the fuller richer permanent relationship we have with jesus so even as people grieve the loss of a spouse the, the very process is is a way of reminding themselves and other people that there is a there is one that death will never separate us from joining us today is pastor sam alberry uh sam is the author of the book we're talking about today which is seven myths about singleness published by crossway press sam you're also uh, one who engages in uh, defense of the christian faith you're a writer for ravi zacharias international ministries i'd like for you to put on kind of this uh, apologist hat for a moment because part of what um, the tension, I think, of this subject is that the church and its leaders uh, want to have a constructive and critical voice to the culture, right? Um, we, want to, we want to have uh, faithfully, faithfully articulate what the truth is about God's view of sexuality. At the same time, we want to be hospitable and welcoming people into the church because 
precisely because we, we think that sexuality is, a, is something to be understood within a theological worldview. And so kind of in between this gap of the church and somebody who is not yet really interested in adopting a theological worldview is, is a pretty significant space that uh, we're trying to speak across. And I'd love for, to hear some of your reflections on how can the church articulate its story, its beliefs, its ethics into its culture without being unnecessarily alienating or without presuming that the other person uh, has got to take steps towards them before they can be, you know, let's say in friendship, right? In, at least in friendship with, with others in the church. How do we balance out holding that our own values and articulating our own, uh, articulating the truth as we discern it, um, while trying to be hospitable and conversational with those who hold different kinds of values. I think it's absolutely key, and with my apologist hat on, it's there is such a great opportunity for the gospel in this very area of, of public discourse and discussion. Um, the the options available to the Christian are not merely either assimilating to the culture on one hand or adopting an adversarial stance against it on the other hand. Um, we have an opportunity to, to, to show something of the goodness of Jesus Christ in this very area of life, even though it's very sensitive and, and at the moment very controversial. I think the key thing is, is showing how the gospel levels the playing field. And so, you know, we, we understand from the teaching of Jesus that every single one of us is fallen in our sexuality. We're all broken in this area of life. Mm. Um, we all have disordered desires in this area of life. And so if we really understand that, we won't actually be judging people. We will be hospitable because we will simply be, be saying, hey, all of us are in the same boat here. Um, and so no one is looking down on anybody else. And Jesus has, yeah, hard teaching for us on this issue, but it's hard teaching for all of us. Yeah. And our experience within the church is it's good teaching. Mm. And so we can invite people into what all of us are having to work, walk through in our own discipleship. No one should be feeling stigmatized or singled out because the gospel message lands on all of us in a way that that humbles us and challenges us and convicts us mm. so it shouldn't be the case that there's the, the you know the the christian who is all righteous in their sexuality is excluding and demeaning the non-christian who's the you know the sinner actually the christian is saying hey i'm i'm a sexual sinner by jesus definition and yet I have found such richness and fullness in following what he has to say, even in this area of life. And that's, that's our message to everybody else. So we have a great opportunity. There is so much pain. There is so much awareness of, of brokenness and hurt that people are experiencing and they just don't know where to go with it or what to do with it. And we have this amazing opportunity as, as Christians to say, all of us experience some kind of brokenness in this area of life and church should be the it should feel like the safest place to go with those issues and with those struggles yeah well i know i certainly took some in a good sense conviction from the spirit of the of the book 
which is in a deep sense um, for me as a married person, uh, a reminder to be uh, empathetic and humble. How do I identify with the pain and struggles of others? And how do I posture myself to learn from their experiences and their insights, which are given and afforded to them from their own life and experiences and um, that God has graciously returned back to me because that's what they're going through and vice versa, right? That's the nature of relationship that, yeah. that we each have something to contribute to one another. So, you know, it, it was hard teaching, but it was good teaching. I like how you said that it was hard, hard teaching, but it was good teaching. It was a hard reminder, but it was a good reminder. Um, one of the things that you talk about as far as, um, what any sin, but specifically uh, the context of the book, sexual sin does, is it saps us of our strength and it adds pain to our lives, right? It, it might energize us for the moment. It mm. might assuage the pain for the moment, but ultimately it, it further draws strength away and ultimately it, it increases and adds pain to our life. And, uh, you know, that's kind of why this, the stakes are so high, uh, not just in this aspect, but as a pointer to all our relationships, to, to have godly and holy relationships is the path of joy and satisfaction and uh, strength. Even while we recognize there's still going to be moments of being tired or worn out or in pain or dissatisfaction as well. It's like, this is just a better road, right? The, the life of, of holy and healthy relationships is, is a better road than the alternative. That's right. And I love the, the realism of the verse in Hebrews where it talks about the fleeting pleasures of sin. It's not pretending there's no pleasure to sin, but it is saying that pleasure is only fleeting at best. And so there is, there is a cost in following Jesus for every single one of us. There are certain sinful pleasures that we have to say no to. There are real pleasures, but they really are sinful pleasures. <laughs> Yeah. And therefore, they're not lasting pleasures. And so what, what Christ is opening up for each one of us is a way of living that will be better for us. It, it accords yeah. with how we've been designed to live so, and which will be healthier for us. I think that leads into the final myth that you address. So the first myth that you address in the book is that singleness is too hard. And the last myth that you address is that singleness is easy. And one of the things that, that starts to bring all this together is you simply admit that a lot of times the, uh, the initiative for friendship as a single person uh, seems to be on your shoulders, that you seem to be the one in your experience, at least that needs to be taking the first step to it, to initiate friendship and, and to doing this hard work. Um, I'd love for you to take a, a couple moments and just speak to other single people who are listening in. Maybe they are uh, people who have gone through divorce. Maybe they are not yet married. Maybe they uh, have lost a, a spouse to, to death. Um, a number of contexts where a person could be single. So I'm asking you to broach a number of contexts uh, about that. But I'd love for you just to kind of speak to them. What would you say to the person who is in the midst of living the single life faithfully and they, they know, like, I know this isn't easy. Okay, so what would you say to me in it? I think there's a few things I would say. The first is that marriage isn't always easy either. And one of the big dangers is that we compare the ups of marriage with the downs of singleness and we don't even realize that there are downs to marriage and there are some ups to singleness. So I'd want people to know that, I, particularly having been in pastoral ministry for the last 15 to 20 years, 
you know, I've seen some really tough marriages. Uh, I've seen marriages where, which have fallen apart in enormous pain, other marriages where they've been able to persevere, but it's still been really difficult. So we mustn't think, oh, singleness is, is painful and hard, therefore I'll get married. <laughs> um, because actually we're exchanging the challenges of one way of living for the challenges of another way of living. And if we see marriage as being the solution to all of our pains and hurts and fears, actually we're, we're stacking the deck against our marriage being healthy. So that's the first thing is just we live in a fallen world and you don't escape that fallenness by, by putting a ring on your finger. Um, I think the other thing I'd say with, with singleness is it can be difficult. And as, as you've, you've mentioned, as, as I, I mentioned in the, in the book, Sometimes those friendships where most, you know, you, you get to the age where virtually all of your friends are married. Um, those friendships can become quite asymmetrical. Um, you, you probably need that person's friendship more than they need your friendship. And so, you, you, you know, in many cases, you may be the one who's, who tends to be doing the initiating and so forth. But um, I think part of the way forwards with that is not to let that breed resentment or, or any bitterness, but it's the kind of thing you can talk about. Mm. Um, because one of the things I want to do as a single person is, is learn how to be a good friend to my friends who are married. Uh, what, what can I, how can I be a blessing to them? How can I serve them? And they will want to know that for their single friend as well. And it may well be, it just didn't occur to them that there is that kind of asymmetry where, um, you you have a greater relational need for those sorts of friendships perhaps than the, than the other person does not always but that can often be the case they just mean that that may not have been intuitive to them but knowing it it might mean that they can okay i now i now know how to be a better friend to you who who are single um i i'll you know i'll, I'll be i'll be better at reaching out to you and checking in on you and it's not always you who's having to kind of do the initiating so any any difficulty in life is is an opportunity both for perspective um, and also for patience to think okay well yeah this is hard for me but something's hard for everyone and people don't always understand one another's trials immediately and part of friendship is is growing in our understanding of of one another and, and better learning how to serve one another and be a blessing to one another. Um, and that's going to take patience. My married friends had to be patient with me in, you know, trying to be a good friend to them. So it, it's always got to be a two way thing. Sam, thank you so much for joining us today and, and uh, taking the first step uh, with many others by writing this book and sharing it, publishing your thoughts and coming on the podcast to talk to, with, to talk with us about it. Thanks so much. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you listeners for tuning in as well. I hope that this podcast episode is uh, helpful, valuable to you. If not uh, directly to you, then maybe to somebody else uh, in your life, uh, maybe a friend or a person that is uh, under your spiritual charge in a small group or in your church or somewhere else, or uh, someone else that uh, maybe it's preparation as well. Maybe uh, preparation for the people that, that uh, you will be friends with. 
appreciate you listening in. It really is uh, your presence that makes these conversations rich and possible, and I certainly appreciate you listeners for being part of it. Check out some of the other resources from the Wesley Seminary podcast. I encourage you to like and subscribe, upvote our uh, podcast on whatever platform that you use. Thanks so much to Cam Davis for producing the podcast. I appreciate his attention to detail and uh, the support week to week. Thanks so much, Cam. Thanks so much, listeners. And thanks again, Sam, for joining us today. Everybody, have a great day. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the name Wesley Seminary.